Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. You guys, today is a big day. I'm a super fan of this man, Al Vernacchio. He has over 25 years of experience as a human sexuality educator and consultant. He has done TED Talks. He has published articles. He has appeared on national programs, and he's even written a book titled For Goodness Sex, Changing the Way We Talk to Young People About Sexuality, Values, and Health. I first heard his genius on Katie Couric's podcast, and I was like, I got to get this guy on Katie's crib because I have no idea how to talk to my child about sex. Um, And you are really good at talking to kids and people about sex. (laughs) Welcome to Katie's crib, Albernacchio. Thank you so much. I'm totally excited to be here. I feel like this time has been really interesting because um, we've done a lot of episodes Um, on Katie's Crib this season about talking to our kids about race. And a few times during those episodes, I've said, you know, it's crazy. My parents didn't talk to me about race. My parents didn't talk to me about sex. And this is not good. (laughs) This is a problem. And I feel very lucky that I use Katie's Crib as a platform to teach listeners how we can do a better job and practice these language skills that it requires to start talking to our children about things that maybe weren't discussed in our household, or maybe they were discussed in a poor shameful, um, not loving fashion. Can you first tell me what's the distinction between sex and sexuality? Oh, sure. That's a great question to start with. 
Um, a lot of times when people think about sex, they um, either automatically think about sexual activity, so sort of what parts you have and what you do with them, or they think about gender and sort of who you who you are inside your skin. Um, but sexuality is much bigger than that. Sexuality involves all the parts of our body, including our sexual parts, but it includes also our emotional capabilities, our relationship capabilities, you know, body, heart, mind, and spirit, if that's part of your belief system. Every minute of the day, we're sexual people. Mm -hmm. We're not sexually active, but our sexuality is not something we can ever divorce ourselves from or, or put aside or leave at home when we go out to school or to work. Um, to be human is to be sexual, and to be sexual is to be human. And so, but unless we have that kind of integrated view, it is really hard to talk about with anybody because you're left thinking that you're going to be talking about really intimate, personal, specifically sexual activity kind of things. And people get freaked out about that. I totally understand that. Right. So you work mostly with high school students, correct? I do. I'm, my title is I'm the nursery through 12th grade sexuality education coordinator at my school. So I'm in charge of doing sex ed for everybody from our youngest students who are three years old up to our oldest students who are 18 years old. But I do spend most of my time working with the high school students. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm the person. I'm losing yeah. my shit right now. Hold on a second. Is this a title that exists in schools now? Because I don't think it existed when I went to school. No, it exists in my school because I'm there. It was an interesting confluence. When I went to my school, when I was hired 23 years ago, I was actually hired as a full-time English teacher because that's another thing that I do. Um, but I came to the school having already gotten a master's degree in human sexuality education. And I asked my school if they thought I might be able to use that degree in the service of our students. And so I sort of looked around the school and did some needs assessment. And very slowly, I've been there 23 years, and that title only became really official in the last few years. But I've been slowly building and doing sexuality education, um, starting in the high school and then moving to the middle school and moving to the lower school, all through that time, step by step, you know, program by program. Wow. Um, and it, there are some schools that have people like me in it, not a whole lot. But unfortunately, in many schools, you know, sexuality education is left to either science teachers or health and PE teachers or religion teachers, all of whom are lovely people and who I'm sure love kids as much in the same ways as I do, but they're not trained to do this work. And I'm specifically trained to do it. And we're talking yeah. about like sex education versus what you just defined right. as the difference between sex, which, yes, we all need to learn the mechanics of the whole thing. But sexuality is such a huge, huge topic for hormonal teenagers. But also starting now, I mean, with my three-year-old, when you say that you've talked to three-year-olds about it, like, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I would like myself and our listeners to, who a lot of them have little ones, to do our part in raising little people who are um, woke when it comes to consent and respectful of other people's bodies and things like that. And I don't even, like, know where to start. <laughs> 
Yeah, of course. You know, nobody who becomes a parent suddenly gets imbued with the the information or the skills to do this. It's and that's part of why I also work a lot with parents because parents need help and I totally get that. Um so for little ones uh, I'm going to take a cue from a guy named Danny Horn, who's a sex educator that I've known for a long time. And he says with little ones, you focus on three Fs, family, fairness, and kind of fairy tale love. Love it. So for, for little three-year-olds, when I go into the kindergarten and the pre-K in my school, I bring storybooks that talk about diverse kinds of families, that everybody's family is different and everybody's family is about love, about fairness that nobody should be treated differently just because they're a boy or a girl or they're transgender or they're cisgender. Or, or they have two mommies or they have two daddies. They or have they, a different yes, skin okay. color or a different ethnicity. Exactly. Exactly. And then the third one about sort of the Disney fairy tale love is that everybody deserves to love and be loved. And that that's all kinds of love. Everybody, you know, someday if they want, gets to have a sweetheart. And that sweetheart can be a boy or a girl or anybody that somebody loves. Everybody is worthy of love from their family, from their friends, and someday from their sweethearts. So families, fairness, and fairy tale love is a great place to center when you're working with, uh, with little ones. And, and that's the kind of work that I do. And of course, you know, now we do need to talk about things like consent. There are some great um, books out now even little board books for teeny ones about consent. Um, you know, it's a little bit different than the good touch, bad touch. That's also information we always have to do. But consent is more about body positivity and a sense of ownership and a sense of developing the beginnings of agency about who gets to interact with your body. Um, and those are things we can do with little kids, not in a sophisticated way, but in a simple way. I, I definitely have moments now where I, I'm trying to practice, like, you know, one of his little friends, um, you know, he'll just go up to her or him and, you know, really like aggressively squeeze the shit out of that mm-hmm. person. Right. <laughs> like he's so excited to see that sure. person. And I just try to intervene and say, hey, let's take a step back and let's ask, can I hug you? Would you like to get hugged or something like that? Or, you know, and then and then I say he'll ask. And sometimes that kid says, OK, and Albie will give a hug. And sometimes that kid says no. And then Albie does it anyway. And then I have to say, up, up, up. You know, they said no, which means they don't want to receive a hug right now. Like, is that the sort of bait? Like, we can start yeah, there? that's an amazing lesson. And that's a perfect way to do it. It's exhausting. My kid is of like, like the king of like, oh, let me just invade your personal space. I'm just like, oh my God. Well, I mean, all little kids are. Little kids, you know, little kids are about, about love and connection and belonging. And they just, and so teaching them that, it's really important to ask people if they want to hug or if they want to play or, you know, if they want a, a high five or a fist bump. And practicing that with them is an amazingly important skill to start. And then, you know, we sort of transfer those skills as kids grow to more complex situations. Right. About this fairy tale love, what do we yeah. do about fairy tales that are, you know what I'm going to ask, boy, yeah. girl, you know, the same thing all the time. I'm sure that we are hopefully getting better here, that there are board books that exist where people are falling in love that aren't a blonde girl with like a small stomach and boobs and some hot dude, <laughs> Ken doll yeah. type situation. Yeah, absolutely. And there there are plenty of beautiful 
uh, books that are written today for little kids that have all kinds of relationships and all kinds of love depicted. So it's not that hard to find them if you if you look for them. Um, but I think what's really important, a really simple thing, for example, is when we're talking to little kids, I very deliberately use the word sweetheart instead of boyfriend or girlfriend, because I want to model that those I'm aren't the only two options. Right. right. I'm not anticipating or expecting that their sweetheart is going to be any particular gender or have any particular body. So, um, and then I like to point out, so, you know, Uncle Dave and Uncle Joe are sweethearts and mommy and daddy are sweethearts. And, you know, and, and that way they begin to understand that term and the multiple ways that term can be applied. Um, so even the very choice of our language is key when talking with little kids because we're modeling the kind of inclusivity and the kind of um, of openness that we're hoping to develop. Wow. You developed an alternative approach to sex education. Before we get into that, can you share, I thought this was fascinating in your TED Talk, that there are two sex ed models that listeners may be familiar with but haven't analyzed. There's the disaster prevention model and the porn model, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you yeah. explain those two things? Sure. So the disaster model is the way a lot of people um, in my generation, I'm 56, uh, grew up, which is hearing messages like, um, sex is a beautiful thing, but if you do it wrong, it'll kill you. <laughs> and, um, you know, sex is perfect when it's with the one you love in a beautiful married relationship, but anything else is going to leave you with like warts and scales and horrible diseases. Sure. Um, and it was a, a lot about fear and a lot about we can't tell kids the joyful parts about healthy sexuality because that's going to lead them to do things they're not ready for. Right. So we make this disaster model that tries to scare kids into not having sex. And of course, that never worked. All it did was make us doubt adults were telling us the truth about anything. Mm. Um, but a lot of us grew up with that model. And it, it's insidiously sort of inserted itself into a lot of our media, a lot of our education, a lot of our parenting. So we have to be on the lookout for that. You know, when are we conveying negative messages out of fear? Um, if we're doing that, we're following the disaster model. The porn model has always been there, but really has come to light, obviously, with the advent of the digital world and the internet and the easy accessibility of pornography and sexually explicit material. And the porn model says that kind of, no matter what you're doing, it's somehow going to lead to sex, which I don't know about your life, Katie, but <laughs> no. my life does no, not work right. Like Every porn is like, oh, we're in a desk office situation. Oh, whoopsie dipsy, I have to change my tire. Up oh, here we go. We're cleaning right. out the refrigerator. What else we got? It's like, up exactly. and now we're boning. Exactly. Right. Okay. <laughs> yep. And then the other thing the porn model says, which I think is even more damaging, is that the sex that people have isn't integrated or connected to the rest of their lives in any meaningful way. So like, you know, as an English teacher, I can say that most of the sexually explicit stories I've seen are not big on plot. <laughs> right. You know, there's not a lot of like character development. Right. And uh, I don't know who these people are. I don't know the kind of lives they have. Sure. I don't know what their interests are. And, and for healthy sexuality, we have to integrate our sexual lives into the fabric of the rest of our lives. So my high school kids, I often ask them this question. I say, well, so if you've ever seen material like that, did you ever wonder what the people in those movies are doing 20 minutes after the camera? 
turned off. And, right, like who and, are you know, they? They don't. Right. You know, do these people grocery shop? Do they have kids? Do they go to church? Do they have parents? I mean, the answer to that is some of that's true for most of those people. But porn doesn't show us that. It focuses our lives solely on the sexually active part of our lives, and it isolates that part. And it also sort of fetishizes and fantasizes those parts because you're seeing bodies that don't look like typical bodies. And you're seeing sex that isn't like the sex that most people I know have. I mean, I always tell my high school kids that, you know, there there is nothing more fumbly and funny and awkward than being sexual with somebody. Right. And that that's, that's part of the magic of it. You know, it doesn't ever work like it is on TV and in the movies because that's staged and constructed. Oh, I know. It's um, the worst. Let me tell you, it's oh, yeah. awkward for us too. <laughs> when we do sex scenes, it's like, Oh, my God, I have to, like, literally make out with someone in front of 150 people that I've never made out with before. And I'm well aware that it's not going to look great. It's going to be weird. We have to have conversations. Thank God there's intimacy coordinators now. But, like, conversations about, like, are you cool with tongue? Are you not? Like, are we making sound? Are we not? Because I don't want to be left out to dry out there. I mean, it is so awkward. But <laughs> that's just a side note for any of you actors <laughs> listening who feel me. But I heard, correct me if I'm wrong, that the average age now for kids to see porn and a lot of times violent porn, like, is 11? Is that true? That's true. That's, that's oh the average. God, Some kids are seeing Jesus. it younger than that. Some kids older. But, you know, by the age of 11, we can assume that most kids have seen some example of often violently sexually explicit material. <sighs> and it's not because they're looking for it. It's because they're online and they fumble into it or they— A friend type, picked you know, it up and a friend now shows showing them, everybody. They, type, they misspell things into a search engine, all kinds of ways. Absolutely. I can remember in my age, I had, like, one of the first computers— um, my girlfriend came over and we Googled, this is how far we've come, guys. We Googled Michelangelo's David and zeroed oh, in on, on the penis. Yeah. And like, that was crazy. Do you know what I mean? Like, we have come so far. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. How are we supposed to prepare our kids for that inevitable like anyone listening who's like that's not going to be my kid you're crazy let's just accept your kid's going to see some crazy freaky ass porn around the age of 11 what do we do if an amazing alvernacchio is not in our school (laughs) so the first thing you have to think about is what kind of conversations have i been having with my kids about just general media about what they see on tv about what they what they see in cartoons um Are we talking about the way gender is portrayed? Are we talking about real versus fake? Are we talking about how what we're watching is often constructed and really different from the way it happens in in real life? If we started those conversations, the porn conversation is just an extension of that. It's just saying this is material that sort of goes in many ways to the extreme with the... um, fake versus real stuff, that it looks like, I mean, yes, these are real naked people and they're really kissing or they're really doing sexual things, but there are camera people and there are scripts and there's lighting and there's a whole bunch of things that are creating it to look like it's natural when it's really not. Here's the difference of what it looks like when it's sort of natural. And I don't mean showing kids that, I mean talking about those differences. You know, I say that um, thinking that you can learn how to have sex from watching porn is like thinking you can learn how to drive by watching The Fast and the Furious. Totally. Right? Totally. That's a great analogy. That's great. So a really simple language like that can help. And, and I also think it's really important that we, and this is really hard, so we sort of summon our courage and we sort of lean into this. Um, we don't want to shame kids for being curious because a lot of kids, especially younger kids who are looking at porn, are really curious about bodies and about sex and about relationships. And so we also need material that we can offer to kids. So websites like Sex Etc. or Amaze.org or if they're a little older, Scarlet Teen. There are plenty of really good websites out there that are designed for young people that give oh, that's accurate, great. clear information 
about this. I mean, one of my favorites these days is amaze.org. There are these tiny um, animated videos. They're three, four, five minutes long about everything from consent to pornography, to periods, to bodies, to your first kiss. And they're amazing and beautiful and so carefully done. Um, and so to say, look, if you're curious about something, I want to actually help you find out what you want to know. This is not the best way to learn about that. Let's try this. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know that a lot of parents may feel discomfort around that, you know, and I think the key is really being able to find websites and books for all different ages that, that people can look to. And I think it's really just a matter of not if you're going to have that conversation, but when and how have you been leading up to that conversation in what you're doing? You have to really make it an add-on to what you're doing. It can't just be a whole new conversation. It's got to have right. context. It's like all these little building blocks that have been placed along the way. And you might feel embarrassed, but you have to put that aside and say something like, hey, dude, like, I, I really want to talk to you about this stuff. I'm going to go think about it for a minute and come back to you, you know, tonight or tomorrow. We can talk about this, you know, but it's like really making right. sure exactly. you can be open to the opportunity when your kids ask questions or are curious. Yeah, my friend Deborah Rothman says it's much better to have 100 one-minute talks with your kid than one 100-minute talk. Right. And they don't all need to be like heavy, deep, and real. Just a, just a comment that shows you acknowledge yep. and you're observing. Yep. Wow, that's not the way that I think about women when I think about them, the way this music video shows them. Something like that's a conversation. Right. It doesn't need to be a whole big deal. That's really great. I My parents never talked to me um, about sex, even though we were a very... Um, like open household. I grew up in a house that only had one bathroom and there were four of us. And so it was like non-negotiable that like everybody was in there at one time in bras, underwears, like naked. Like it was the reality of the situation. Like he, they were very open, but they never talked to me about sex until my cousin got pregnant at 16 and my mom came, burst into the bathroom and was like, are you practicing safe sex? Do you use a condom? Like it was so, it was like insane. Yeah, um, and it was the first time we'd ever talked about sex and it was aggressive and scary. And I already knew all that crap. Like I, I was already 16. I already knew about condoms. I already knew about sex. I had already lost my virginity. Like it was, you know what I mean? It was already an old hat, but like she freaked out because it became a reality to her that I could get pregnant, you know? Right. Um, when are people suggested to, to have conversations with their daughters about birth control or like, are we supposed to wait for them to bring it up or do we bring it up in these little conversations along the way? Well, like most questions, there's not one <laughs> definitive answer. Some people feel more comfortable kind of waiting until the kids bring it up. That's not my favorite strategy because I think we need to be giving kids messages all along. So even if they're not bringing it up, I think it's important for us not to say like, are you having sex and do you know how to use a condom? But, um, hey, have they talked about condoms in school or when you're watching TV, hey, do you know when people say having sex, do you know what that means? Um, and I think putting it also in the sense of, I want to make sure that you can have the most positive, healthy, you know, enjoyable experiences that, that you can have uh, when it's time to have them. This is one place where Europe just does so much better than we do. You know, Europeans are much more 
calm about talking about sex with their kids. They're much more at ease thinking about older teens as becoming sexually active yeah. and that that's sort of a natural, normal part of the life cycle. Right. Um, and not every kid is, but a lot of them are. You know, if you're 17 and you live in Denmark, for example, it's not unusual that your parents will say to you, you know, you have a sweetheart. I know that maybe you're thinking about being sexual with them. I'd so much rather, if you're going to have sex, you, you bring your sweetheart home and you have it here in your own bedroom where it's safe and comfortable and there's people who you love around you. You know, that sounds crazy to a lot of American parents to think they would totally freak oh out. Oh my God, my dad would be like, are you, like, they're not my little girl, like, not right. in my under my roof. Right. And I get that. And I get that. And, and you know, those values are important and we can talk about those. But, um, but you know, at what point are we really thinking about the reality of our kids and our kids' lives and how do we help them? We don't want them to be hedonists. We want them to make really good, value-based, healthy decisions. They can't do that without information. Totally. And they can't do that without practice totally. in decision-making. Totally. So how are we helping them move towards those more adult decisions um, as they grow up and as we talk to them? It's funny. As a nanny, I, I've become like certain moms in-betweens where like, yep. <laughs> like the moms have been like, hey— can you just find out if my kid is doing stuff? I don't care if they are. I want them to be like living their best life. But just please let me know if they're not happy or something like that. And I'm like so relieved because one of the girls is sexually active who I used to babysit for. And she feels great about her choice. So I feel mm -hmm. so great. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God. Because I know how bad it can go. Sure. The most we can hope for is that they feel empowered by their choice. Man or woman, trans, whatever you are, that you just can look back on that memory of being in your first loving relationship or the first time you were sexual with someone or whatever it is and look back and be like, psyched about it. <laughs> I, I totally get it. And it's it's my goal too. I mean, how many of us look back on our early sexual experiences with real fondness or with joy or think, wow, that was awesome. You know, many of us fumbled into things we weren't really thinking about, ready for, psyched about. And, you know, the saddest thing in the world is when I hear kids tell me, you know, they had sex just to get it over with. Ugh. Or that, or they tell me like, well, it has to hurt the first time. Like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And we can talk about that. Uh, and if it does, you know, we can do something about that. Oh, genius. I'm so glad you exist. <laughs> so tell me about your developed alternative approach to sex education. So it's, you know, pretty common in America that when we talk about sex, we use baseball language. Like sloppy second. I mean, oh my God, does that still exist? Oh my God, so many. Does this still exist? Oh my God, wow. <laughs> it does. Now it exists more with younger kids. It's more of a middle school kind of thing. Okay. But the problem is that once you start talking about it that way, that model sort of stays in your head. And so even though high school kids don't talk about first base, second base, third base, you know, they they still have that model that sex is this kind of competitive game. Yeah. This kind of like me against you. Wow. Offense and defense. Right. Um, and that really sets up some bad stuff. And especially if you're talking about heterosexual sex, because in the baseball model, you know, very often it's the, it's the, the male bodied, you know, boy identified person who's rounding the bases and the girl is the field yeah, that's, that the game gets played That's on, not great. You know, that's like, not great. That's not great. <laughs> yeah. You don't get to second base by touching a guy's boob. And right. Right. everybody would know yeah, that. Right. Um, so that model is really destructive. But I have to say that model is packed with power and privilege and patriarchy and is not going anywhere because there's a lot of people 
really invested in it. So what I think we have to do is give kids the ability to think of an alternative model. So I came up with the pizza model that instead of thinking about having sex like rounding the bases, we think about it like having pizza. A couple differences that are important. So when you play baseball, you don't always get to decide when it's time to play, right? There are certain times and seasons and events that just require you to play baseball. Pizza, ideally, you have it when you want to have it, when you're hungry for it, when you have an internal yen or desire for it. So it starts in here, not out there. Baseball's competitive, pizza's cooperative. Baseball's sort of strictly bound by rules. You go to first, then you go to second, then you go to third. Pizza's about choice. What do you like? What do you want? What tastes good to you? What are you feeling now? And that can be different and different experiences. Baseball's about winning and losing, scoring a lot of runs, winning the game. Pizza's about feeling satisfied. You get to decide when you stop. You don't have to have the entire pizza to have a good pizza experience. Um, so it's a whole different model and way of thinking. Pizza's much more about variety and choice and is much more sensual, like appealing to the senses. Oh my God, I'm pregnant Pizza's right now and also, I can't, I'm I starving. <laughs> like you're, my mouth is like, oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. You're talking about Pizza's, sex, so I'm just thinking about pizza. Okay, keep going. <laughs> and, and that's fine, kids do that. Every every Wednesday in my school is pizza day. And Delicious. And always hysterical about that. Um, you know, pizza's much more, the pizza model is much more inclusive because you don't need a bat and a ball and a glove, right? I work in a school that has a very large Jewish population. So during Passover, we have matzah pizza in the cafeteria. It's delicious. Right? I and love that's it. Pizza. Mm -hmm. That's legit. Yeah, totally legit. In the same way that same way that a bagel pizza is legit, in the same way that a vegan pizza is legit. It's about preference and choice and you know what works for you. So we need to give kids a model that's much more like that than a model that's restrictive and that's very rule-bound, competitive-based, and goal-oriented. Because that's just going to lead to really bad sex for most people. And that's not the goal. The goal is to really have people feel good. Have you found that this model resonates with young people? It does. It, I mean, it, it certainly resonates a lot with young women because they realize the flaws of the baseball model. Resonates a lot with LGBTQ folks because sure. uh, they feel included in sure. it. Um, and, you know, even straight guys who really want to be good partners and are thinking about their partner as not just a glorified sex toy, but as, as a human being they want to interact with, they really get how even what their intentions are can change the impact of what happens. Mm -hmm. So they may, they may want to be really um, affirming and, and not boxed in, but they feel so freaked out that they resort to this very easily accessible model and it winds up not providing what they or their sweethearts really want. Right. So yeah, there's definitely been an openness to it. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage from full to cheeky to minimal. 
And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We've talked a lot about language, and it's funny. I heard myself even say it. I said, lost my virginity. Oh, God, what Mm -hmm. do we do about that? What do we do about the language of losing your virginity? Also, you've talked about having sex. Like, how can we make waves, parents listening with young children, about changing the language around this stuff? Sure. A lot of the language is, is old. A lot of it's very sexist. A lot of it's very heterosexist. So, for, so for example, losing virginity, you know, the, the whole concept of virginity, which I don't want to throw the whole concept out because there's some positive things uh, about the idea. But when you look historically at what virginity meant, who it was important for, I mean, it was from the time when marriage was a business transaction. And, you know, you got, you got more goats for a woman who a was virgin. pure, right, right, a virgin, right. yeah. And, and, you know, what did that actually mean? That meant not penetrated vaginally as if that somehow magically conferred pureness no matter what the person had done and with it conferred some sort of like damaged goods. Um, So we have to be really honest about where those terms came from, what they're about. A lot of my work in sexuality education is about reframing concepts. Here's the way we've looked at it. Here's what's problematic about it. Let's try something else. And the new thing might not work the first time, so you keep trying it until you get something that really works. So for reframing virginity, you know, I like to not think about losing virginity because it's not something you have to lose. I also don't like the idea of like giving virginity because that feels like it's some kind of prize that people, you know, there's not real good language for this. So I'd say that my definition of virginity is tied to my definition of having sex. So I don't like the definition of having sex that implies just vaginal intercourse yeah. or anal intercourse. It's, it says nothing about consent, nothing about pleasure, nothing about 
intention, nothing about desire. So my definition of having sex, which kids hate, by the way, because it's complicated and long, is, you know, consensual, sober, sexual activity that's mutually pleasurable and that includes reproduction if you want it. Right. Amazing. So I love you know, it. That's, a, that's kind of a mouthful. And kids are like, well, how do we know what people did? Like, why do we have to know what people did? Well, how yeah, is that? That's the big thing in school. It's like he made it to third base at what's his name's bar mitzvah, right. whatever. <laughs> like, right. And you're back to baseball. Back that's locker room to talk, baseball, right? Exactly. Locker room talk. And that's how we all find out how far they got. Right. And nobody ever challenges, like, A, what does that right. matter? Why do I need to know that? How is that my business? <laughs> right. And if that impacts the way I'm going to look at this person, what does that say right. about me right. and about the way I think about right. this? Right. Right. Oh, gosh, it's so interesting. Um, okay, your kid's masturbating. You walk in. What are you supposed to say? <laughs> you say, excuse me, and you walk right. out. <laughs> right. You know, right. it's, it's pretty simple. Right. You know, you see, We're well, not in trouble. I actually, right, I actually, I have that, It's that's in my book. It's one of the things I address is what happens if you walk in on your kid having sex or your kid masturbating. And it depends what your house rules are, you know, like, if I'm allowed to be alone in my room with the door closed and I'm a teenager, I might very well be masturbating. And if you walk in, then, you know, and I'm doing that, if you freak out, what's the message I'm going to learn from that? If you say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you wanted private time, whatever. Sure. That's a whole different message, right? I always say to parents, try to access your hopes, not your fears. So when we react in shame-based ways, we are acting out of fear. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with my kid. My kid's doing something that's going to create a bad life, right? Well, you know, masturbation is totally healthy. And if we react to it as a normal part of development for many kids, then we say, oh, okay, right? Yeah, it's not something I want to see, but, you know, you're old enough. You get to have private time. Maybe we need to figure out, like, if you really don't want me to come in your room, you put a sock on the door or we have a knock three times rule or something like that that tells me, you might need some private time. Sure. The whole shame around sex thing. I think that this is hard. This is really hard. I think it's tied to some people with their religion, with what their parents. Shame is a reaction to feeling like, not I've done something that's wrong, but I am something that's wrong. You know, Brene Brown talks yes, about that. Right? So shame much. is, I am a mistake. Yep. Guilt is, I've done something yep. wrong. And And when it comes to sexual shame, that just creates such unhealthy sexuality in people because it it makes who we are fundamentally an error. You know, if 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 you get shamed for being gay or trans or left-handed or blue-eyed or whatever, that makes you a mistake. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to access healthy relationships when you feel like what you're bringing to the table is a mistake. Now, guilt which is I've done something that violates a value or violates a rule, that's not always bad. I mean, I'm Italian Catholic. Like, shame and guilt are my middle names. Right, right, know? right. I grew up with it my whole right. life. And, you know, sometimes guilt can really be like, oh, I kind of screwed up and I need to think about that. But shame is never a good thing. And so whenever we are tempted to react out of shame, it helps to ask ourselves, like, what am I afraid of in this moment? Right. What's my fear? Right. And then where's the positive? Yeah. yeah, where's the hope? Where's the good? Because I don't think any parent, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I can't speak to this. Uh, but I think you want your kids someday, when the time is right, 
for them to have really amazing, loving, pleasurable, great sexual experiences, right? You don't want them to feel terrible about their bodies or ashamed of everything they do or that somehow they're creating evil when they're trying to connect with somebody in a really intimate way. So again, how do we encourage that hope? How do we help kids walk towards, I'm going to have healthy, open, honest, consent-based, pleasure-aware relationships, not I'm going to get around breaking the rules and I'm going to get around, you know, sneaking around so that nobody knows I'm doing this stuff. I can remember my sister-in-law, who she's such an amazing mom. She's a daughter. And we were talking about her being sexually active, which, of course, was like, you know, it was like jokes and, you know, just like whatever. Mm -hmm. And she just came out of left field with the most, again, baseball guys. Wow. She came out of left field with like, um, with just a really profound, it struck me. I still think about it. She just was like, well, whenever... You know, my daughter's sexually active. I just hope she's safe and comfortable enough where she can be vulnerable. And I hope she has a really good time. And I hope she really enjoys herself. And I was like, whoa, that is the coolest mom answer I've ever heard. Like, I never even thought about that as an option, <laughs> you know? Right. And isn't that sad? So right? sad. That, like, that, that doesn't even make the list when we're thinking like, about it. that's awful. Like, of course you want that yeah. for your children. How do we teach our kids to practice safe sex, not just wearing a condom or taking birth control? And how do you teach your kids about consent? Okay, so those are two big questions. So consent's a conversation that has to exist around far more than just sex, right? We have to think about everyday consent. For me, consent is required whenever we interact with somebody else's body, property, or reputation. So if I'm going to interact with somebody else's body or somebody else's stuff, Or if I'm going to interact with somebody's reputation, say something about them that's going to impact the way other people see them, I need consent. Mm. So whether it's borrowing a French fry or, you know, can I give you a high five or, hey, guess what I heard about somebody? All those are consent situations. The better we are at everyday consent, the better we'll be at sexual consent. Absolutely. Partly why we're so bad at sexual consent is we're not focused enough on consent in our everyday lives. And that doesn't mean walking around with like legal contracts and clipboards. It just means being aware of how I'm interacting with people and how much choice I'm giving people. Being aware of my own actions and interactions and being aware that other people are people and they deserve to have agency and choice. So of course you want that when it comes to sex, which is one of the most intimate things people can do together. It doesn't have to be, but often often we want it to be. But kids often get kind of legalistic about it, especially high school kids. Like, you know, do I have to ask about every single thing I do? Well, I mean, ideally, yeah, but in most situations that doesn't happen. Does nonverbal consent count? Well, yeah, we communicate verbally and nonverbally, but verbal consent is usually a lot more clear and a lot more easy to understand. Mm -hmm. So if you're not sure about the signals you're getting, ask a verbal question. Um, So consent's bigger and, and needs to be practiced from when we're little kids all the way up. And then safer sex, again, it's so much bigger than how to use a condom. So one of the things I do is I ask kids, take any experience, riding a bike, driving a car, jumping off a roof, You know, what are all the kinds of things that can make that experience safer? You know, protective equipment is one thing, but so is like believing you're vulnerable. Uh Uh-huh. 
reading the instructions, right. not feeling pressured, right. um, doing it with someone you trust. Right. So that we, we fill the whole you know, whiteboard with all these different things that can make something safer. And then we say, okay, safer sex. How are all these things part of it? Mm. So I may know how to use a condom, but if I don't feel vulnerable, I might not think I need to use it. Or if I'm too freaked out to say, I think we should use a condom Oof. because I don't trust the person that I'm with enough and I'm afraid they're going to reject me, then that information is not useful. So again, it's a bigger conversation and it's a conversation that we can have in lots of different ways about lots of different things that all lead us back to how do we create an experience that leads to health and agency and openness and a positive outcome rather than a negative yep. one. How can we be and how are you being more inclusive to the LGBTQ plus youth when it comes to sex ed? Oh, sure. In, in lots and lots of positive ways. I work in a school that happens to be very different. It's a very progressive school. We have lots of, you know, out trans kids and out LGBTQ kids. Um, but, you know, here's so here's one of the things I think, and, and, you know, um, when I pick up a sex ed book, one of the things I look at is, does it have a separate chapter for LGBTQ kids? Or are those kids integrated into every chapter? Because a book that segregates LGBTQ sexuality into its own special chapter is kind of saying, you're not like everybody else, you need special instructions. I like books that actually, when they're talking about kids and sex and sexuality, are always integrating difference into it in every way, because that's showing me, oh, you know that I'm here from the get-go. You're not thinking about me as an other or as a special category. I think that's the way we have to approach it. And so, you know, I don't really do a unit on LGBTQ folks. No, it's everything everything's integrated. Has to be, right. right, everything has to be integrated. That's the best way we can do it. When parents know, right, like their kid is really little and their kid might not know yet that they're gay or they're trans or whatever it is and the, and the parents are already feeling it. Do, do right. you suggest parents bring it up or are we supposed to wait for kids to say something? You know, the only valid label is the one a person is going to give to themselves. So if a parent says, you know, honey, I know you're gay and that's okay, it doesn't mean anything unless the kid is able to say, oh yeah, that's a label that really, that I think really fits me and that I'm ready to take on. So I just say, and this is, this is true for every parent because no parent knows ultimately how their child who their will kid like is going to yeah, be. Of course, right. Of course. So we always just want to be um, giving messages that show we are open to you being whoever you are. We think you deserve love and respect and care no matter who you are or what you are or who you love or how you love. And we want you to know that we're always going to work really hard to support your authentic self. You know, sexuality education really has three major goals, right? One, how do we figure out who we are most authentically? Two, how do we create authentic, honest relationships? And three, how do we make the world a better place? Mm -hmm. Like successful sex ed does those three things. It helps people figure out who they are and how they're comfortable in their own authentic skin, and it promotes authenticity. 
It helps us know that relationships that are built on honesty and trust and communication and consent and that when we're really looking at another person as a person is always going to be healthier than coming out of fear and looking at a person as an object. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately, the expressions of our human sexuality should make the world more loving, more free, more open, more fair. If we can do that, we're doing really beautiful work. That's the work that I think we all want to do for all of our kids. And, you know, I do it by talking about human sexuality and other people do it by talking about other things. But, I mean, I don't think you can argue with those goals. I hope you can't. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. I would like to end there, but there's one thing I have to ask you about. <laughs> okay, let's, really do it. let's keep going. <laughs> penis arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> let's just end with some All from right. some penis arrogance because it scares yeah. the shit out of me. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I have a son. I'm scared, um, which is not how I need to be. Tell me what that is. So yeah, so penis arrogance is scary um, because of. Sexism and patriarchy, a lot of male-bodied people who, who identify as men grow up thinking that because they have a penis, they are entitled to all kinds of magical things in the world, that their penis gives them power, and that that power gives them the right to take what they want, have what they want, and not always be nice about it. And it is really destructive. It is really inhumane in lots of ways, and it's not good for those people who have penises or for the people they operate with. So um, penis pride, different story. We're all about I that. It's great penis, to have a penis pride is We're great. all about penis sure. pride. That's awesome. Sure. But, you know, how do we help boys as they're growing up learn that they want to be um, wary of developing this arrogance, that that is actually not making them more of a man. It's making them a worse human being. And I don't want, you know, people accuse me of like wanting kids to be like feminine or wussy or, you know, gay or whatever. And that's not true. I love being a man. I love masculinity and manhood, but I don't think guys are entitled to be jerks. No. And I don't think just because I have a penis, I, I get to have anything I want. And I think being really up front and sort of saying, you know, that's really arrogant. Like a penis is not a lightsaber. A penis is not something magic. It's a body part, you know? And if you really want to talk about strength, you want to talk about vaginas more than penises anyway, because, <laughs> and, and don't even get me started on uterus because they're even more amazingly powerful. Um, but, but I do think that penis arrogance is something we need to be mindful of and watch out for. And it's all over media and it's all over TV and it crops up in the ways boys talk to each other. And we need to just be calling it out and basically saying, you're awesome enough without that. You don't need that. You have every right to be proud of who you are. And I want you to be proud of who you are. But that pride has to exist within this larger community. Right. And arrogance pulls us away from community. Right. Pride puts us in community. Yep. And so we want to create more community, not move us further away from it. So that's the skinny on penis arrogance. <laughs> Whether or not your penis is skinny or not. Exactly. Because it's any way <laughs> or not, it's fine the way it is. Al Vernacchio, ladies and gentlemen, I feel 
the parents in your school are so lucky to have you. The kids in your school are so lucky to have you. The work that you are offering up to all of us in your book, For Goodness Sex, Changing the Way We Talk to Young People About Sexuality, Values, and Health. Guys, just Google Al Vernacchio in sex education and you will go down a spiral that you will be so grateful you did. Um, and thank you so much for being on Katie's Crib and talking to our listeners. Thanks so much, Katie. I've had a great time talking with you. Thanks so much. If you guys liked what you heard, tell all your friends, subscribe, send me questions, comments. You know the deal to Katie's Crib at Shondaland.com. And I love you all so much. And let's all help our kids lead some healthy sex lives, huh? Like, I'm all about that. <laughs> Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 